This episode will contain explicit language, along with spoilers, for Denis Villeneuve's 2015 film Sicario. Welcome to a new episode of Franchises and Filmogs. I am your host, Zach. It's been a little while, uh, but we are back still on the Villeneuve season six, where we are going through his filmography, talking about all his films in order, um, not including the short films. We skipped over those, but that's, that's what we've been doing. Um, this week, uh, and today we are talking about Sicario and I welcome back the recurring guest who's been on most recently, uh, with our enemy episode and with prisoners and some other episodes. Uh, but Steven, welcome back. How are yeah, you doing? I'm not even a special guest anymore. It's just, uh, no, you're just a guest now. It's just like, ugh, this Steven's back. Steven's here. Uh, I guess we're going to have another boring episode. Um, yeah, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Ready no, to be uh, boring. I definitely think that you've helped the episodes be more exciting. So you always throw in some questions toward the end and uh, help <laughs> liven it up in here. So, yeah. um, My specialty is livening things up. Yeah, livening it up. Livening. I like Liven, that word. Livening. We're going to use that. Um, Don't, though. But yeah talking about Sicario 2015 film uh the film is 121 minutes long rated r estimated budget is 30 million dollars that's a lot of dollars uh but the estimated gross the cumulative gross worldwide is 84.8 million dollars so not a bad taken Villeneuve has made a huge name for himself at this point uh with prisoners Enemy was a, a little less screened, I think, than Prisoners, but uh, definitely shows a high art form that Villeneuve is going for. This film has quite a few stars, uh, mainly Emily Blunt. It's got Benicio Del Toro. It's got Josh Brolin, John Bernthal, and Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, but... It's a star-studded cast. It is the Avengers of Villeneuve. Although we kind of got that with Prisoners, I guess. But uh, what do you think of this cast, Stephen? We'll start there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the cast is great. And it, it just, this feels like the first... Obviously, there's big names in Prisoners. Yeah. But this feels like the first uh, movie in his filmography that like feels as big budget as it is in terms yeah. of the sets, what's going on. And there is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of big names and not a lot of the big names do a whole lot either. Mm-hmm. Especially like, I think, like, uh, like Jeffrey Donovan is in it pretty like briefly. Yeah, I think Prisoners kind of broke him out and this was like, that got the viewers to his filmography and this film just like solidified it um, and they attracted even more viewers. So uh, pretty happy with what Villeneuve has released so far. And we are going to have a couple more uh, films to talk about also in the next two episodes. Um, but this is a solid film. I've got some film facts. I guess I can also start off with here. Um, as I usually do, I like to, peruse the IMDb for a couple of facts to throw in that I find interesting. Uh, this film came out after the film Everest, which also has Josh Brolin. It was released in 2015. 
And Josh Brolin originally turned down this film uh, because he was exhausted after working on Everest. I guess it was a very highly involved film. And apparently Sir Roger Deakins sent him an email and he rejoined the cast. So we have Deakins to thank for that. We'll probably talk about Deakins more, uh, but he is an amazing cinematographer. And we have him to thank for Josh Brolin being in this film. Um, God. Yeah, he is a sir. He is a night bachelor. And he is a god. Uh, Roughly 90% of Benicio Del Toro's lines were cut from this film. Uh, The writer of this film is also amazing, uh, Taylor Sheridan, who actually has a new film coming out pretty soon. And the trailer just dropped today. So maybe we'll talk about that a little later as well. Uh, But 90% of the lines that Sheridan had written were dropped from this film, and that was Del Toro and Villeneuve's decision because they wanted to make the character more mysterious and not really reveal his background until later in the film. Um, Villeneuve wanted a very suspenseful score for this film, and the score was written by uh, Johan Johansson, maybe Johan Johansson, still don't know how to pronounce his name. I probably should have looked that up. Uh, But he wanted a suspenseful score like Jaws, the 1975 film. Um, A full-scale replica of the city of Juarez, uh, or not the city of Juarez, the border at Juarez uh, was built for this film because they couldn't just shut down the border to film there. And there is a pretty intense scene that occurs there. And the last fact I've got is Emily Blunt spoke with four female FBI agents to prepare for this film. And she chose to kind of study the mannerisms of one of them who was more shy. And that's mainly who she based her character off of, I guess. So those are some pretty interesting facts, I thought. Um, Steven, what do you think about those facts? Do you have any facts of your own that you want to add in here? Uh, Nope. I don't come prepared with facts, but they sounded pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. There's some uh, a couple more facts on IMDb, so if you want to check those out. This is not a paid ad, but, I mean, IMDb is great. Highly support it. I am uh, uh, interested in that Taylor Sheridan trailer, though. I have not heard of or I didn't know there was a trailer out, so I got to watch that. Yeah, it came out today, and it looks really good. And the film, I believe, is going to be released in theaters and on HBO Max as well. Uh, and I totally forgot what it's called. So look up that trailer. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks good. It's got Angelina Jolie and I think a couple other people. It's got the guy that plays Peter Baelish in Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, those who wish Little me finger. dead. Yes. Yes, that movie. Is, it looks really good. I hope John Bernthal's in a starring role. because He is I in it, been, I believe, actually. He but is. I don't know yeah, about starring. Is. I've just been craving him in the lead role, and I was going to bring it up this podcast, so I'll just talk about it now. But I just burnt off. I want you to be a lead in a movie so bad. You're so good. Yeah, he and uh, Taylor Sheridan, I guess, must have some good working relationship because I'm pretty sure he's in every film that Taylor Sheridan like is involved with. Um, so I guess he likes him a lot as an actor, and I agree with that. I like him as the Punisher and all the Taylor Sheridan films and other films that he's in that I can't think of right now. Uh, But he's a good actor, very underrated and kind of under the radar, I guess, but 
love to see him in more. Um, Steven, do you want to do a plot summary or do you want me to do that this you know, episode? I don't think I'm prepared for it right now. You oh, go fuck. for it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you, you didn't want to do it Damn either, it. huh? <laughs> Not really, but uh, I'm I mean, going can... to do this thing where I have Wikipedia open to kind of go through it that way. I'm not just going to read it, but I'm going to like I mean, have that help I refresh my memory. I think I can do it. You want to do it? And then I, I can, can uh, I can insert stuff at the end. It's yeah, not gonna, too crazy, I think, for this quickly. film. Try okay. to do it quickly. Yeah, sure. I think this one can go faster. Uh, we got Emily Blunt. Kate is an FBI agent who specializes in like hostage situations the beginning of the movie is them raiding a house they discover dead bodies uh there's booby traps in the house officers get killed and it's part of the escalating war on drugs because uh this is in arizona i think it was in arizona yeah something and they are her department is approached by josh brolin under the guise of a dod advisor and he wants Kate to join him on a mission. And she joins because I think, you know, she's probably looking for a promotion. And also she wants to make a difference to get the people who caused the deaths of some police officers. She meets the rest of the team, which is Benicio del Toro, Alejandro, and Jeffrey Donovan as uh, Steve Forsen, Forcing. And... She quickly learns that she's been lied to as Josh Brolin is pretty suspect. They're not going to El Paso like she thought they're going to. They're going to Juarez. We get, they do like a mission to kind of extract, I believe, a, just a person of interest in the cartel. And they do that mission. Uh, it gets dicey, which we will, I'm sure, go into later. So intense scene and they get the person of interest back across the border where they torture him at this point cat's kind of out of the bag that brolin's just a dod advisor and is really more of like a cia spook but she sticks around because she's kind of it's almost like this sunk cost of like she wants to stay with the group and try to make a difference on this and you know, there's, they make a, they try, they're trying to stir the pot, I guess I should say, is like the main objective of this group is stirring the pot of Manuel Diaz, which is like a, uh, one of the bosses underneath the primary boss, which is uh, Fausto Alicorn. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they shake the tree, if you, <laughs> as you would say. That's a quote from the movie, I think. Yeah, um, to get him out of his hiding and to meet with the boss so they can find the boss. And through this, Kate, you know, they make a bust at a bank and Kate gets an attempt on her life because she reveals her face in the bank and they know her identity. Then further, they're, um, they find kind of the location of a tunnel to get across the border so they can set up this kind of rendezvous where they intercept Manuel Diaz going to his boss. And they have a mission, you know, once again with 
more of like spooks and uh, Delta Force soldiers. So it's like it's very clearly not a mission by the book, like our protagonist thought it would be, to get Benicio del Toro across the border to intercept Manuel Diaz, where he confronts and exterminates Fausto Alicorn. Yes. And his whole family. Um, yeah, you, you know, we'll talk about that scene, but yeah. yes. So um, I guess I, I mean, I'll put a spoiler alert before the episode, but uh, yeah, major spoiler right there. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that was everything, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I tried to skip over some of the yeah details, but I mean, that's like high level what happens. There's a scene at the very end. We'll probably talk about it later, though, um, with Alejandro and Kate. But we can bring that up later. We'll talk about the ending, I think, specifically later in the episode. Uh, but yeah, that was a good plot summary. When when was the last time you watched this film? Last night. Last and night. It was only my, it's only been my second time watching this movie. And I will say it was a... A good rewatch, you know, I feel like I picked up a lot more that was, you know, intended for the audience to pick up. And I appreciated the movie uh, a lot more than I did when I initially saw it. Yeah, I think this might be the third time I've seen it. I think I've logged it twice, but I think it was the third time because I think I rewatched it before the second one came out, which is a whole different movie. But I rewatched the first one so I could like remember it. Um, but it was a good rewatch. I think something interesting about this film is it's probably Villeneuve's most straightforwardly told film. Would you agree with that? Or K- kind of? <clears throat> uh, the, I feel like one of the major theme, uh, themes of the movie is confusion, almost for like our protagonist and for us. I think the yeah. events that transpire are straightforward, but the way it gets there is not. Yeah. I think like basic story wise, it's straightforward. Um, but it's told in a in a fashion that's more mysterious as opposed to uh Villeneuve just explaining it to us right away. And that's interesting after knowing that r- roughly ninety percent of Benicio's del Toro's lines were cut because he's a major character, especially at the end of this film. Um, and I think that adds a lot to the the mystery and the way it's told being a little more confusing, although it's a somewhat straightforward uh, storyline. I think it was a good decision to cut his dialogue. I, yeah. I do feel like there's a very serious degree of separation between him and the other members of the task force. And I think by limiting his dialogue, it really like reinforces that. Yeah, I think um, we can talk a bit about his character and maybe the other characters right now. Uh, but one of the huge themes in this film is like mistrust in in my opinion, is you don't really know what's going on. You don't know these characters too well. It seems like the only character we really know is Emily Blunt's character, Kate. Um, and all the other characters are hiding something. And it's kind of like what Kate is trying to figure out. And Benicio Del Toro's character, Alejandro, is the most 
basic example of this because he doesn't talk most of the time. He doesn't like lay into his emotion. He's just there. And when we're introduced to him, we're, we're hardly even aware of, of who he is at all. Josh Brolin's character, Matt is just like, Oh, this is another guy who's coming with us to help us. And he has some inside knowledge that will help us, but he doesn't really say who he is aside from that. So uh, I think this is maybe the best role I've seen Benicio in. Um, do you have stuff to add for Benicio's character that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... It's interesting, his place in the movie, because I, I think what adds to the confusion is and it's something i picked up in the second rewatch is like really everybody on the task force has their own agenda where alejandro's i guess we can go into his uh you know his is revenge when his family was killed when he was a prosecutor yeah in juarez and gruesomely killed you know like daughter dumped in acid wife beheaded and brolin is very much like his agenda is to bring results to this war on drug by drugs by matching i guess the intensity and monstrosity of the cartels himself he wants to uh quote shake the tree create chaos i wrote that quote down so i'm glad you said that earlier too but yeah, I mean, he definitely, it, it definitely seems like he's like, I want to, I don't even want to say if it's just bring justice. Like, he just wants to get results no matter, like, no matter what. Kate, on the other hand, I think she's more easy to say, like, she wants justice. I wrote down that she probably, I mean, it's probably like a good look too if you ever want to, like, get promoted or move up in the FBI too is to be on a kind of like interdepartment or whatever you would call it task force with uh, multiple like departments and agencies doing something like this. So it's, I feel like all the main pieces are all in one story working towards really their own goals. And it makes it so confusing to, to process what's happening. And I really think like the audience is exactly like Kate too during. Yeah, I think Kate just wants um, not vengeance, but uh, definitely justice for what she saw at the very beginning of the film. And it seems like it's her journey of like discovering who these other people are and how this system works. Uh, And that's what the audience sees this through a lens of. Um, Yeah, so she's sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying uh, she seems like more of the innocent bystander but because of what she saw at the beginning she has to follow this path and she has to be there to help however she can so um yeah i think it's interesting kind of going back to alejandro's i do feel like although he is mysterious and whatnot he doesn't really partake in a lot of the manipulation that brolin does all things considered like he's a pretty honest guy to kate from the yeah. start, because he's the one who spills the beans that they're going to Juarez, because like the second she steps on the plane, he's like, hey, you ever been to Juarez? And she's like, what? <laughs> and, you know, he 
I guess he does mention that he like sees his daughter in her, so maybe that's part of why he's a little more honest and frank with her. But he just kind of like you know, it, it's more of just uh, him keeping to himself that creates the mystery. Yeah, he's like hiding his personal life as opposed to hiding like what what's going on with the mission. Um, I was just thinking about this actually, and it, it seems like Alejandro. So he's hiding his personal life, um, whereas Matt. Josh Brolin's character is hiding like what's going on from people and he's like hiding how they're treating um the the immigrants to try and get back at the cartel and he's just hiding all the manipulation that the FBI and I I don't remember what he's a part of. I think he's CIA. CIA. Yeah, cuz he's think not they FBI, the line. Is FBI. They mentioned the line where uh I think he said CIA in that scene. I don't quite remember or it's near the end where he says, you know, like CIA in order to operate domestic missions needs like, or like to operate missions on us soil needs a domestic agency attached. Yeah. Right. He says that like halfway through the movie, I think, which is like why Kate figures out why they really want her there. Um, Yeah. And I think, kind of lead this in the Brolin's character Matt is his lies are definitely like more maybe not selfish but really just tied to his mission and the organization you know he works for and everything he does is just to manipulate Kate into doing what he wants easier mm-hmm. I really feel like if he was telling the truth from the start he probably could have had Kate to go along, but I think from his perspective, it's like, it's just easy to do that. It's like, and, and like, not only does he withhold information, he does straight up lie. Yeah. To her about, you know, like what he is, you know, he's not a DOD advisor, you know, they're not going to this place and he's definitely manipulative too. And she has doubts and, and he says like, well, you know, this city is in shambles and there's all this horrible stuff happening and you know it's like you have to help us or you're letting this happen basically yeah that's her her motivation is to help like prevent what she saw at the beginning of the film from happening she gets like guilty going along (laughs) yeah he definitely uses her um in in that position so her idealism i i feel like because like kate i think in all of this is a little more of an ideal officer maybe she's she's not like what you would say like green or anything but she's just worked you know north of the border where it's tamer so she's not used to those things she still has to you know go through like pretty standard regulations and not all this below the board stuff yeah yeah um i think something uh interesting while we're talking little bit about this i think we uh will go into scenes specific scenes in a second here uh but before we get into that i was reading on wikipedia that the mayor of ciudad juarez uh yeah who at the time was i don't know if this is still the mayor i assume probably not but i don't know uh no it says from 2013 to 2015 he was mayor uh but his name was enrique serrano escobar urged citizens to boycott this film uh, because he believed that it presented a false and negative image of the city. He said the violence depicted in the film was accurate until about 2010, and that the city had since made progress in restoring peace. So I think this is a hard um, 
hard thing to talk about because I don't think that anyone wants to see the city they live in uh, like this on the screen. And Villeneuve paints a pretty, I mean, what he does best is painting bleak pictures of places. Uh, but he does a, a pretty good hit job of Ciudad Juarez. So, um, it feels post-apocalyptic. It does. I mean, I one of the scenes, uh, they're like looking at night and I think one of the agents, I don't know if it was a main character, maybe not. Uh, but one of the agents is like, do you want to see the fireworks? Yeah. To Kate? Mm-hmm. And, they look through these binoculars and there's just gunshots everywhere. There's police cars everywhere. It's a really terrible image of a city. So I do not blame the mayor for being unhappy with that. Um, I don't know what Ciudad Juarez was like in 2015 or if it, what it's like today. So I'm not going to comment on that, but I do know that I would not like to see uh, Seattle portrayed like this in a film. So I can understand the frustration with that. I think part of that too in that scene, I, I do I think he maybe makes reference to it. I was thinking about on this rewatches. I feel like that was specifically that violence was happening because of the operation they just did, maybe. It was like I think he was kind of saying like this is what happens when you like when you go in like start that. to like stir the pot. Yeah. I mean it's hard to tell. I mean, I don't know what Villeneuve was thinking exactly when he made this. So maybe he was thinking that, which is really interesting because that it, then he'd be showing the effect of um, Americans going onto another soil and uh, making things much worse than they are. So uh, very interesting take, I guess, to look at it from that angle. And I'm sure there are a bunch of angles you can look at. Yeah, it's like regardless though, the city, you know, feels like New York and like Escape from New York. If you've seen that, it's it has that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. It's I mean, when we first enter the city too, it's maybe the scary one of the scariest moments in the film. I guess the first scene is maybe the scariest moment in the film, but uh when we enter the city, there's like bodies hanging, there's it's a very bloody and gory scene. And man, uh, Johan's score during this too. Oh yeah, when they enter the city, I think it's called like the Beast on the OST. But it's like that. This is like one of the best songs I think from the the movie. The I have to listen um, to the soundtrack by itself. I think because I didn't pay nearly enough attention uh, to it on this watch watch through, and I think it might just be because I'm like. I know this score is going to be amazing. I don't need to listen to it too closely. Um, yeah, I it, loved it. It's there in the back of my mind, which is fine. Like when you're watching a film, you don't want the score to take you out of the movie. You want it to take you into the movie. Um, but I think that I need to listen to the score by itself also to get that intensity since, since it's such a big uh, part of this film. Um, on that note, I think I want to talk about some of the technical stuff with this film, maybe go into the specific scenes. Uh, but I think the best shots in this film are these huge landscape shots. I mean, we're seeing a whole city when we go into Juarez um, and it creates a huge scale for this film, much bigger than prisoners, enemy, um, maybe close to Ansan D, but bigger because it's a bigger budget. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I really like how this film is shot. I think Roger Deakins, of course, is amazing with cinematography. I, I, I have no more words for Roger Deakins aside from he's amazing at this point. Um, but there's also, I mean, they use like binocular shots and they get pretty creative with it with like night vision, um, all, all these different types of shots. So that helps with a film that is going more for intensity than it is for a straight story, um, basic story. So yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, I want to talk about the border scene because I think that is the biggest scene action wise in this film. And I remember when I first saw the trailer for this film when I was younger, back probably around 2014-2015. I thought it was going to be much more of an action film, and it's not really that. It's a little slower. Yeah. Uh, But this scene is the most action-packed and intense. So when they are coming back from Ciudad Juarez, I'll, I'll set the scene a little bit, but they're coming back from Ciudad Juarez and we don't know who we can trust because somebody says that the state police are often problematic as well and corrupt and we don't know if we can trust them. And yet the state police are basically escorting them back. Uh, at the same time, they have to look out for people from the cartel that might be hunting them down because they have uh, kidnapped this person to interrogate him and take him back and everything seems okay. There's a heavy car scene, but it's not really a car chase because no one is chasing them. Uh, But we get to the border and then all of a sudden we're stuck in traffic and it's more intense than when the cars are moving because we are looking around at all these cars and we don't really know who we can trust. And there's cars full of like four people. I think there's two cars full of Four younger younger guys, probably are in their twenties or so, uh, that are spotted with weapons, and then from there the scene evolves into basically a shootout. And Kate is just left in this car, trying to figure out what the hell is happening, who she can trust, whether to stay in the car or get out. So, uh, I thought that that scene was ridiculously intense. Probably my favorite scene of the film because of the scale of it and the action and knowing that it was not actually shot at the border and they had to build this huge scale uh, replica of Juarez border. So uh, what do you think about that scene? What do you have to say about that scene? I mean, it's, it's a magnificent like um, series, you know, of tension, that whole sequence. I think it's, you know, I think it's unanimously considered like the best, scene in the movie and i have to agree it's even when it's starting the operation and you know i I love the part that they said you know if there's an attack it's going to be on the way back not the way in so that already adds some kind of like anticipation to the scene because you're waiting for it to get to the part where they come back and there's also, you know, it's it's still intense on the way there. And part of that, you know, to the technical ability, the the way Deacon's films, and, you know, I'm sure credit to Denis too, the way they directed the, just the convoy moving is just incredible. It feels so, like, menacing and intense. And I don't know why. I mean, it is just four black cars 
with, you know, turreted pickup trucks in the front and back driving for like, you know, it's like five, ten minutes of the cars just driving, but it doesn't feel boring or stale. It's intense. Yeah, I think uh, on the way back, at least, I don't think they were doing this so much on the way down to Juarez, but on the way back, we're getting these shots of like all the sides of the car, like what you can see out of the passenger window when you're looking down um, like another street. That's a good and point. there's what's that? Oh, I was just saying, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that builds that builds a lot of intensity because at one point we see this like state police car and then at another time it disappears and we're like, what the hell is going on? Like clearly that's the bad guy that's going to come out of nowhere and hit the cars, but no one ever like hits the cars or rams them or anything uh, until you get past the border. And I think they're in the U S at the point when uh, the other people pull up with guns and, and then we do see that one state police person at least, uh, was there to try and kill Kate and get the the kidnapped person back. So um, I think that builds a lot of intensity because you're matching with their, their eye levels, looking out of the car and seeing what they see. So you feel like you're in the moment. Yeah, there's, uh, something, so, there's something so ominous about just that convoy of cars, like screaming through the the streets. And, you know, we get some like, perspectives from the people living there too kind of as the cars are going through and i do really think it's kind of like goes with i think a brilliant direction to take this movie it is just that factor of confusion and i think it adds to the scene because both us as the audience and kate like truly don't know what we're getting into at this border crossing in Juarez. like through the entire scene kate does not know what to do she does not know what they're doing, what they're going through. Like before the border crossing, she really only gets like a quick, brief, vague rundown of the operation. And then they're doing it. And it's like, I feel like we're right by her in just like, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going on, what's happening. And it just adds to the tension. And I I do love the traffic jam that they run into because like traffic jams are anxiety inducing already that's true let alone with the idea it's like okay some of the people next to us might have guns and they might be trying to kill us is like the dog barking through the scene too to have that like grating noise and i do love the i think it adds to it. it's like the here the, the one line i wrote down was like we must be engaged to engage it's like it yeah. just adds to that kind of intensity that like, you know, it's like they can't prevent anything. They have to wait until shit hits the fan. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I know uh, a lot of people are like, it's so much more anxiety to sit in traffic than it is to drive in a car at 60 miles per hour. And you really feel that in this scene. You're like, why aren't they driving? Why aren't people moving out of their way? Um, but and it's yeah. like the way too, like Alejandro has to tell Kate, like, bring out your service weapon. It's like he can tell she's not reacting. <laughs> yeah, in and the they're proper trying to get her to get car. out of the car too. Yeah, I mean, like it's definitely, and and she bitches at Brolin after the scene, is you know, like she's not a soldier. You know, this isn't what she does. Yeah. And man, I, I do think there is great. Speaking of soldiers, this whole s- sequence. 
I do feel like the their military advisors they had or you know whoever does the training for mm-hmm. the guns and maybe even the extras they had just like really knew their stuff and it, it feels very real and I think that the movie does get a lot of credit for having like very real you know like combat and actions that the soldiers take during combat yeah i feel like in in most movies like this you would see them get out of the car with their guns before even pulling the gun like fully out whereas like in this film you've got benicio del toro just sitting in the car like as a sniper like aiming the gun around and clearly knowing where he's supposed to point the gun at which was really interesting and it feels like much more authentic than if they all just like got out of the car right away and were running around shooting things. Um, So I think a side note through this scene is I really love Jeffrey Donovan's character. Who is that again? He is the guy with glasses and a mustache and he wears like a, a really boring, like button up. (laughs) He looks like he doesn't belong with the rest of these people but he's the guy he like he makes he does like a lot of comedic relief stuff like he's the one who tells kate's like man what the what the cartels do is really brilliant with the way they mutilate people and he might actually be like one one line jokes he might be the one that was like do you want to see the fireworks actually now that it wasn't him it wasn't him no it wasn't him but he uh i think i know you're talking about though yeah, he makes a lot of, like, quips and stuff through that kind of sequence. And there's, like, the one part, he looks so cool, Jeffrey Donovan, where, like, during the traffic jam scene, he has, like, one hand on the gun, holding it completely still, and his other hand on the door, ready to open it and get out. Yeah. And it just looked really cool there. And uh, Jeffrey Donovan's cool. I really... he's a He's a good actor in, like, these kind of roles i've never watched like what is it burn notice he's in or something he's amazing in fargo season two oh i need to watch the fargo uh tv show i've never seen it season one is like some of the best television you could watch heard yeah i've heard good stuff so so i think jeffrey donovan's character is based on visually at least and you can look it up it's like this delta force guy named mike vinning and it's like i think he's based off of like this famous picture where there's these you know military personnel leaving like a helicopter in like the 80s or something and you see this guy in the front just in khakis and like a bill gates looking 90s button up with big ass glasses just holding an ar (laughs) yeah i feel like that's uh I think that's like the the canonical explanation for Jeffrey Donovan's character or unique character design is I feel like it's visually just based off that guy. Probably is. I think that's uh, something Villeneuve does incredibly is he will find small details to just insert into a film all the time Um, and and Easter eggs like that. So it's pretty fun with rewatching his films and like researching all the characters in all the films um, to see like who they're based on and what he was thinking when he made the film. So uh, what else here? What other scenes do you have other scenes you want to talk about specifically? 
man. Um, I mean, if we're talking to talk about like technical prowess, I do love like I, I feel like Deacon's had some fun with the kind of the end tactical tactical sequence where it, it does flip between like the night vision and the thermal, and it just yeah. looks really good. It doesn't look cheap or like corny or even you know. It looks like nighttime. It does not look like fake nighttime. Deacon's uh, nighttime always looks like night. It, it yeah, never looks like manufactured night. Yeah, and we're going through these tunnels too at a point. So we're going between like night goggles and just straight old nighttime. And then we're going through tunnels. And then we get to this part of a building that is inside and it's bright again. And he can just seamlessly go between all of those and it i think it keeps me really engaged because this film is not a quick film and i think when i was younger and i first saw it i was like eh, at times i was a little bored but now that i can appreciate the the technicalities of making a film like this none of this film is boring whatsoever um because if you're bored you're just you're looking at art still so uh yeah Huge props to Deacons on that. Yeah, there's like that shot when they're first entering the tunnel and it like flips on the night vision and there's a shot of the guy walking in with like the knife out and the gun in his other hand. Yeah. That's just sick. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like this scene to that kind of sequence at the end where they're raiding the tunnel, it, it made me think of, you know, like all the old TV shows or movies or even like Die Hard where um you have like the normal cops looking down on like the snobby FBI agents. Mm-hmm. This one feels like almost a realistic thing. Like even the FBI agents in this are in over their heads. Yeah. And it does like, they get kind of shit on too. Which I thought was interesting. Like Daniel Kalua's character, Reggie gets shit on by the Delta force guys so much. When you know it's like, and he's and he was like a he had a he tour he did a tour in Afghanistan. They said in the beginning too. So like Reggie's you know an army vet, and he's just getting shit on by these Delta Force guys in this thing. It's it's just interesting. It's like the FBI feel like bottom feeders in this movie. Yeah, his uh his relationship to Kate is somewhat interesting too. Cause I don't really know. They don't expand much on it. I guess they're just like partners. Yeah. The I think they're just partners and been working together for a while. Yeah. But yeah, he is, he's trying to get her out of this role, I guess, but she is like too addicted to, to stop going further uh, with Matt's character. Cause she wants to see what's really going on here. Um, but he's like, I don't want anything to do with this, but he will because she does. So um, it's interesting. I wish there was more Kaluuya in this film, but he's I great. think this, yeah. this was pretty early Kaluuya. So he was not in a lot, I don't think, or at least a lot that I had seen. Um, but maybe some Oscars are coming his way now. <laughs> so, yeah. Should we talk about, you know, I feel like the last thing to talk about is the you know, the dinner scene <laughs> with the the cartel jefe. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, do you want to start off with, with what you have to say about that? I mean, I just think it's a, 
how we get there is so good and really poignant, you know, in terms of like Silvio's arc, which is yeah. really covered Silvio, but he kind of ties the stories all together. Is he's like a he's a Mexico State police officer that is running drugs for the cartel. Mm-hmm. I think I'll get into it later, but he's like not a bad guy or anything. You really just see him being a dad. Yeah, we see and, his family um, quite a bit throughout the film in very small pieces. Uh, but I think that's something that's the one thing that feels very Villeneuve about this film is he likes to cut to stuff like that as well. Uh, yeah. So, but it's very organized in this film and not hard to figure out by the end at all. So I like that a lot, but yeah. And like Silvio uh, just kind of unfortunately collides with Alejandro, you know, Alejandro's like ruthless, uh, no witness strategy. Yeah. And we get to, I don't know, the sequence, you know, where Alejandro takes out the guards to get to the dinner and just him mm -hmm. silently walking up to them, you know, sitting down. And then I guess, you know, like when he kills, you know, it was legitimately shocking, you know, because the cartel guy was kind of like, okay, Alejandro, just kill me, get it over with. Like, don't do it in my front of my kids. And it was legitimately shocking when Alejandro just casually like puts two bullets in his two, like, sons and his wife it really shapes alejandro's character too because we are built to believe that silvio so silvio is the first person he encounters after coming out of the tunnel and we have been introduced to silvio a few times before and we see him more as like an innocent bystander who has been recruited for this job but is not killing people uh, yeah. actively that we are aware of because we don't see too much of him but uh, we only see him as a family guy so that builds on Alejandro as a character because the first thing he does is he takes Silvio hostage has him drive him to oh, what's the other guy's name Manuel uh, Diaz yeah Manuel Diaz he has him drive him to find Manuel Diaz and then he kills Silvio even though we are led to believe from my opinion it didn't seem like he was going to kill silvio at first because he was like you can tell your family that you did this for them or something like that Mm -hmm. uh and so we think oh alejandro's not so bad he'll probably let this guy go but no like right when they meet uh manuel diaz he kills him and then he takes manuel diaz and they go to fausto kills manuel diaz uh, and then he kills a bunch of henchmen and then he finally gets to Fausto and when he gets to Fausto we still are like oh maybe there's some hope for Alejandro's character he might let these kids and the wife go and just kill the cartel lord um, because that's I think what most films would do at that point but Alejandro just ends up killing all of them pretty quickly and that's it so i think that's a pretty major decision made uh for this film and it says a lot about alejandro's character so and and what his character has been through so yeah and i mean when fausto is talking during the scene and you see like 
Alejandro's face, like his, he is just like face is so dead and empty. Yeah. You know, it's like there is not a shed of doubt or conflict in him during that at all. You just see yeah. it. And I'm not too familiar with uh, the guy who plays Fausto, Julio, Julio Cesar Cedillo. But the face, like his face when his family gets killed is like pretty like superb acting. Mm-hmm. I thought they, that uh, Alejandro, after he kills the kids and the wife, uh, would let him go too uh, to be like, now you have to live with this. Because that's no. also what other films would do. Um, but now he just straight up kills Fausto right after that. He, he has him live with it for like a minute. And then that's it. So, uh, yeah. I want to rewatch the second Sicario to see where that picks up. Because, I I mean, it still has Benicio Del Toro in it with the same character. So, And I don't remember the second one that well. I remember liking it a fair amount. But I'm sure it maybe expands more on this story. So I want to check that out. Um. What else? Do you have more to say about that ending? or No, not about the scene. Um, so, I mean, we can touch on some of the themes now. Yeah, sure. What do so you have? I, I mentioned already, like, the confusion part of it. That, that Maybe that's not really, like, a theme, but more of just, like, a recurring plot element. But, um, so I wrote down, it's like, first of all, it's kind of just, like, dehumanization in general of you know just people and then that also kind of ties in into the i think probably the primarily message of the movie is like the ineffectiveness of the war on drugs and i i feel like this movie you know there's a lot of movies there's a clear good and bad you know and you know bad people do things and bad things happen to them at the end of something and good people do things and good things happen to them at the end. I, I just, morals are irrelevant in this movie. I found, I, I feel yeah. like even the take of just saying like good people becoming evil because of like the violence of the war on drugs is too simple of a take. You know, I, I feel like it, it's too simple to just say like, Oh, Josh Brolin might've been an idealist guy and then got corrupted by this, but it's just, it really is just like absolute corruption in the movie and morals I think are just so irrelevant because everybody has their justifications. It's so hard to apply them. So, you know, um, that's kind of like, you know, those like matching questions. If you ever taken any kind of quiz or something where you get like two columns of things and it's like match this phrase to the other phrase. like to its matching phrase i feel like you could do that with like if you tried to do that with the people and the morals and like the justifications it just would be a complete blob of a mess it's i really feel like you can't put it together because brolin has this justification that like you know he says this is the future you know they're being this ruthless and what you know what you're doing north of the border kate doesn't work and what we've done in the past doesn't work, so we have to do this. But, yeah. but then you think it's like, do they, you know, okay, they say they have to do it, but is it really helping? 
And I think by the end of the movie, we find out it's not either, you know? So it's like both things aren't helping, which is kind of like that ineffectiveness of the war on drugs. And, you know, it's like um, Alejandro has his, you know, version of justice, which is getting revenge for his family. But when he gets his revenge and completes it, does he find redemption? I don't think yeah, so. He's, is he moral for doing that either? I don't know. You know, no, yeah, it's like it might be moral in his mind, like a, a straight eye for an eye. You killed my family, I kill yours. Yeah. And then he completes the mission by killing him. But it's like he doesn't have any kind of redemption from that, you know? He's mm-hmm. just as empty at the end, I feel like. And now he just doesn't have anything. And I haven't seen the sequel. But in my eyes, he really doesn't have much to, like, drive for anymore. And yeah. even Kate, and it's like, I feel like she looks like shit at the end of this movie, by the end of it. I think she's having her, like, morals and, like, the foundation of everything she's built her law enforcement career on. It just gets shattered around here. I feel like it's so hard, because then you go to Silvio. Because by all means, he might be, like, the best person in this movie. Yeah. We just see him as a good dad. I mean, it's, you know, where he lives, I don't know the circumstances, but he's transporting drugs for the cartel, you know? And there's Mm -hmm. so much, like ifs and stuff and it's like he's not killing people but then you could argue oh well he's helping them transport drugs which is earning them money and which is you know facilitating their violence and killing but then that that's like that feels like a ridiculous stretch you know and it's like he's just in a bad situation where probably half of the law enforcement is corrupt and he's trying to provide for his family in a dangerous area so it's you know, he transports drugs for them and he doesn't, you know, do anything else. And he's just a good dad at home. But it's like, you know, it's like, is he, is he a bad guy just because he's on the bad guy's side? Yeah. I mean, we don't see him like kill people at all. So yeah, in my eyes, he's better than Josh Brolin who while on the good person's side and can justify it by saying, Oh, we're doing this for the greater good or we're doing this to help the people of Juarez. You know, you don't see the results of that. And really, he's just a monster, you know, and it's, you know, does like all of this conflict justify, you know, if if one side is ruthless and brutal, does it justify the law enforcement to also be ruthless and brutal? It's like there's so many questions that don't have answers. And it's like, I feel like it's just disingenuous to even try to pin um, like a certain good or bad or morals on any of these characters it's just a mess yeah i think that's what makes this film exciting too because like i don't need shootouts every second of of a film like this i need complex characters and we get it we get a lot of all of these characters are extremely complex and i i think it's more a study of their their mentality um and and how they feel they are because they all think they're good i think um except alejandro i don't know what he's thinking at all he just seems dead inside um throughout the whole film but uh yeah and i mean yeah in terms of like the whole war on drugs too in general is i think the movie you know it, it asks that question to the audience that doing the right thing and they reinforce it too. like doing the right thing hasn't been working and it isn't working. 
so they're doing the wrong thing. But it's like, can like even in the situation, it's like if the right thing doesn't work and the wrong thing doesn't work, can you do nothing? You know, is doing nothing the solution? It's like I feel like it poses that kind of question to it, and I do feel like it shows that kind of when doing the right or doing things with a procedure, the you know correct like legal way doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's just easier to use the justification of the greater good to to start corrupting within like your own organization. And I do think like I really love like is it the last scene the soccer match? Is that the last scene of the movie? Um or is it Kate with Alejandro? It? I'm trying to I think, I think it's it the might soccer be the match. soccer match. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's like the final callback to that scene and the big question in the movie is you know, everything's happened. We we had what they said. You know, this guy's like um Alcorn's nickname was El Verdugo, which means the executioner. And mm. you know, they he, you know, Brolin says, which is a very like striking line, is he's like, getting rid of this guy would be like discovering a vaccine. And so, you know, they pumped this up as like such a major player in the cartel. Mm-hmm. And you know what we learn is there, and what Alejandro is doing, and what they're facilitating, facilitating is killing this cartel guy to bring order in a way where it's just the other cartels have a monopoly, or the other cartel has a monopoly. Yeah. And so they're saying they're bringing order. And you know we see at the end, you know after all this is done, they've eliminated this huge player in the cartel. There's just the gunshots immediately, you know, during the soccer match in broad daylight. And I feel like that's kind of the, I don't know, it it shows like nothing has changed at all, which is, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's... It's a bleak movie, like all his movies. It is. It it asks like questions that don't have answers and leave you morally confused. Yeah, and I mean, he leaves us with a crazy scene that you can look at and wonder what happened um, and and what's going to happen for the future of these children that are at the soccer match. Um, so I think that's it's a pivotal scene that's all message and kind of how you interpret it, I guess. Uh, but also Villeneuve has a clear message in, in his mind. So, yeah, I I love this director. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie could have gone, easily could have gone such a more mainstream direction. It could have been straight action. Director. Yeah. I think, like, Denise's choice to, to be, like, our protagonist is just going to be a complete fish out of water with the audience, you know. You won't be go- know what's going on. Like she doesn't know what's going on, and by you know, like keeping everything so fucking gray <laughs> with morals and I don't know. It, it's you know they really you know build the, they they keep a feeling of more of like slow tension too, rather than quick action. It's like every choice he yeah. made, it, it felt like it was purposeful to not be <laughs> like mainstream. Hmm. It was all the better yeah. for it. It's a lot of character study, and that builds this movie. Um, 
it feels like it has not been done a lot in this type of setting. So you just feel uh, like nothing for both sides too. I think kind of added that at least for me, like yeah. by the end of the movie, I didn't feel any particular way to any like side. <laughs> yeah, I get that for sure. I mean that I think that's like Silvio's character beauty as well yeah. is he humanizes that side of, of the story and then we have people like Matt, Josh Brolin's character, who dehumanize um, the, I guess, American side of the story. So, uh, yeah. Good film. Highly recommend you all check it out if you have not seen it. Um, yeah. Um, I have a couple, like, at least some small things I liked that I just want to mention is and I feel like I didn't understand it as much on my first watch is especially the, uh, the bank scene. I really love the way, and this kind of ties in with just like Denise choice in directing it and probably credit to Taylor too, for writing it is, you know, Josh Brolin just tells her, don't go into the bank. We don't mm-hmm. know why she doesn't listen. She doesn't know why she goes in. And I love the way it kind of ominously films her from the security camera in the bank. Yeah. And after that, we cut to Manuel Diaz, like, on the phone. And then, like, that part's kind of forgotten about. And then only, like, does it reveal later that, you know, John Bernthal's character, Ted, is was there to maybe assassinate or maybe just find information because she ended up on camera in the bank. And the movie could have yeah. easily had Brolin go, don't go into the bank. The cartel will see your face and do something. But they don't. They just yeah. don't say anything to the audience either, or Kate and like we have to figure it out. And yeah, he doesn't try so hard to stop her. He's just like, "Don't go in." No, I mean they. Yeah, and then after she does it, they just use her as bait. As a little, where yeah. Alejandro, Alejandro is like watching her mm-hmm. leave with Reggie. So like he's been watching her the whole night, and even you could see he like I feel like he was probably spotted Ted early on too because I noticed on the rewatch when. Reggie and Kate go into the bar and get to the bar. You can see John Bernthal walk behind them and go to the bar and he enters in after oh, him. And, it, and like, he, he, he comes across the camera really quick and it's like, you notice it. Cause it was like, I can definitely notice the profile of John Bernthal out of a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I feel like Alejandro probably saw Bernthal following them for a while too. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's just cool stuff, man. I also, mm-hmm kind of thought during this movie especially during the end like and this is just after you know i love the movie hot fuzz it's like my favorite it is my favorite comedy movie but it always makes me think when i watch these like crime movies i'm like man what does the paperwork look like after all this (laughs) like i wonder if it was like maybe there just isn't any because they're doing everything and they probably just make up the paperwork because they're doing everything illegally this would be a three-hour film if they included paperwork. Yeah, man. <laughs> just have some poor person in an office do it. Josh Brolin just like calls him and is like, just make up something, all right? Yeah, that's actually Sicario 2 is just them doing paperwork. <laughs> that's uh, why they made It's sequel. enjoyable. <laughs> Dude, I'd watch yeah. a movie of cops doing paperwork for two hours if it was directed by Edgar Wright, though. Yeah. Cops in an office setting. I mean, there's like you know, a third of hot fuzz, so 
you already have an idea of yeah. what it looks like. Yeah. What else? You got anything else? Skimming through my notes, I wrote down some, I wrote down like a lot of quotes. I know I liked one, just because it was, it was like, it, it wasn't deep or anything. It was just the cool line is when, and because Alejandro doesn't say much. When Reggie was trying to get more information, Alejandro does this jab at him where he's just like, are you afraid of the dark or something like that? Because he said, like, he's like, I don't want to be left in the dark. And, and the way he said that, oh, it was yeah. so, like, mean, such a jab. And then mm-hmm. I do love, I did write down the quote when I think it might have been Brolin who said, like, the boundary's been moved. That's, like, a, I think a big one in terms of, like, the actions being taken in the movie. And I do love Kate's line after the tunnel sequence when she punches Brolin and then she gets destroyed and she says, you know, like she likes the tears and like the breath of after, cause she gets shot by Alejandro, which we don't mention. She tries to stop yeah. Alejandro from taking Silvio hostage and Alejandro just doesn't hesitate and shoots her twice in the chest in the armor. But you know, after that scene, she says to Brolin, like you can't do this. And like, it's kind of funny because obviously they are doing it, but like, I feel like in terms of the theme of the movie too, like Kate is kind of right in that what they're doing doesn't work either. So it's like, you can say like, they can't do this because like, you know, it's like, obviously you can do this, but it's not accomplishing anything almost. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's everything I got, man. I was, I ended up writing down a lot more really than I anticipated going into it. I think the. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write too much um, for this film. Not nearly as much as prisoners because I was trying to decrypt that film and, and enemy. Uh, But I think there's less uh, like small noticeable details that involve the whole story to notice. So yeah, there's less like Easter eggs to look back at because um, the story is a little more straightforward. Yeah. And like a mystery lends itself to those kind of Easter eggs too. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cool. I guess that was um, Sicario Villeneuve's 2015 film. Um, what do you have to say, Steven? You know what I'm going to ask? Zach, what are you going to ask? I'm going to ask what your favorite, (laughs) what your worst and best films of 2015 were. Okay, here we go. I'll give you top three, bottom three. How about that? Um, Top three, I've got The Lobster. I've got The Revenant, because gotta love some Leo. And I have 45 years which is I didn't see that. a very good film. Um, I highly recommend you watch it. It is on Criterion, so it's right up your alley. Oh. Um, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I have it at a four and a half out of five. I think it might be a four out of five, but I logged that a very long time ago, so I'll have to rewatch it. Um, we'll go bottom three. I've got American Ultra. Oh. I have Fantastic Four, 
which I don't even remember that I watched. So <laughs> I guess I watched that at some point. And I have a Coppola film, which is A Very Murray Christmas, which mm, kind of counts, I guess, but it's more of a TV movie feel. But I hate it. Don't like it at all. <laughs> don't recommend it. Don't watch it. What did you um, give to the lowest, like the the worst one? All three of those films have a one and a half stars. Nice. Which is very low for me. I'm usually a pretty high rater, I think, when it comes to films. So that's pretty low for me. So I got, for best films, Mad Max Fury Road. I knew that was going to be on your top. Yeah, it's like, it's straight up like top three of the decade. And number two might put, it might be a tie between The Hateful Eight and The Revenant. Oh, I don't even have The Hateful Eight logged. So that might be up there for me too. I think I appreciate Hateful Eight more than a lot of other people, at least I've spoken with do. I really found like the, the whole like play kind of setup of the movie really cool. I think um, I, upon rewatching it, I've liked it more, but. Yeah, The Revenant is just like Alejandro Inaratu is just, you know, it's a technically like outstanding movie. It's like, can't really get better than it. Um, yeah. Number three, though, I'm going to put The Witch. And I adore that film. It's a good film. One of my favorite horrors of all time. Robert Eggers is amazing. Anna Taylor yeah. Joy is amazing. The whole cast is amazing. And it was another good wow. year. There's some good stuff going on. Um, it was a good year. Yeah. And worst films. I do have as the worst film a fan fan four stick. You know, the Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, I gave that a one star. Um, and I did gave, by the way, I gave those top, those, all those uh, four movies I named at the top were five stars for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Good shit. Uh, the Witch went from like, I'm going to veer off again, sidetrack. The Witch, I think when I first watched it, I gave it like a three and a half or a four. And then I watched it again. And I'm like, all right, this is a four and a half. And then I watched it like again, <laughs> maybe another time. And I'm like, all right, it's a five. Um, I have it at a three, but I also I hear your argument, and I hear other I'm people's arguments for gonna it. Gonna well. need to like change that opinion. Of change yours. my mind on that. Yeah. Should we do a change my mind movie podcast? Yes, that actually sounds pretty fun. I love the uh, the challenge of changing someone's mind because then yeah. I just you know my opinion reigns supreme. Um, <laughs> I mean, only if you do change my mind, though. So yeah, no. I mean, if I don't change your mind, maybe I'll just like hang up on the call and like <laughs> rage yeah. quit out of the podcast. Um, what are your other two? I think you have two more bottom films to. Yep, I got Legend, the Tom Hardy double feature movie. I thought I don't even remember that is about the uh, the Cray twins, notorious London mobsters of the 60s and i thought the movie was awful it i just 
I didn't think it hit anything that was going for me. Like Tom Hardy's good in it. Yeah. But that's about it. I mean, like even like Emily Browning is like pretty awful in it. And I don't dislike her as an actress. Um, I don't know. It's just, the movie's a mess. It's themes are a mess. It's dumb. Uh, and then the third worst, I have Jurassic World. Ooh, that's very low. But I hear your argument. I yeah, I mean, you know that, that was just the third lowest on the list. I guess like two and a half was the rating, so I didn't watch a lot of oh, shit that's movies. Not I, yeah, I didn't watch a lot of shit movies that year. I gave one the Fantastic Four, two to Legend, and it was up. Maybe like uh, maybe lower than that. I'd put a uh, Cop Car. If you watch that, it's the Kevin Bacon that movie where Kevin like Bacon. Yeah, yeah, that played two, at SIF. Two kids steal like a cop car or something and the you know it's like a cat and mouse game or something the premise sounded pretty fun and cool but the movie wasn't <laughs> fun or cool uh yeah that's... i have not seen that film but kevin bacon came to the seattle international film festival because that film came out that year oh it's awesome um and he did like a talk it was like the centerpiece film or something um, because they were able to get him out to do like a talk after the film. And I saw Footloose for the first time ever with Kevin Bacon introducing it in person. So That's that was sick. that was pretty cool. But he I didn't stick around Kevin after Bacon. that. Yeah. You love he's, Kevin. he's a good actor. I think he's a underrated actor, to be honest. But uh he he's great. Tremors is a like, classic and I will fight anybody who disagrees. Tremors? Yeah. I have not seen that, but I didn't even know he was in that. Tremors podcast on the next, next Tremors October. podcast. Change my mind on Tremors because I have nothing in my mind about it. Just do it um, next next uh, next October for horror movies. Yeah. You can count it as horror. For horror it's movies. not really. It's a monster movie. Those counts. How many are there? Well, I mean, we should only watch Tremors 1. But <laughs> okay. there there's like seven now that's a lot because like michael gross keeps coming back for him which is you know god bless his soul he's like 80 years old and he's still shooting guns at tremors um love it yeah there's seven one came out in 2020 if you can believe it i cannot believe it the 1991 and then Six years after, you had the sequel, which is not awful. It's still fun because it has Fred Warner and every one of the guys from the original. And then after that, it was like they they made a couple more early 2000s. And all of a sudden, it was like 11 year break. And now they started pumping out like direct to TV <laughs> sequels. What a Classic. franchise. What a franchise. Yeah. Um,. I guess that will do it. Yeah, we somehow podcast. started talking about Tremors in the Sicario oh, yeah. podcast. Before we leave, Taylor Sheridan, if you have not seen that trailer, for those who wish me dead, you should probably watch that because it looks pretty good. And Taylor Sheridan is great. Um, that one's directed by him, but he also has uh, that other Michael B. Jordan film coming out, which he wrote, the Tom Clancy film. So um, Tell Hollywood to... Hire John Bernthal in larger roles. Make yeah. it happen, people. 
That's our PSA. These are not paid ads. John Bernthal did not pay us to say that. We just like John Bernthal a lot. And I like Taylor Sheridan a lot. So, uh, yeah. Anything else to say, Stephen, before I cut it here? Nope, ma'am. It's, it's everything. Oh, um, it's yeah. not okay. everything. <laughs> so we are, no, we're going to cut it. But I did just want to say the next episode is going to be on Arrival, which is Villeneuve's 2016 film. So you can join me whenever the hell that's coming out. Probably next week. Uh, but I'll keep you all posted. I'll probably have a bonus episode this weekend uh, to keep you posted on when that's coming out. Steven, do you think you're planning to join or not? Oh, or yeah. You, you can't get rid of me yet. Sweet. So we'll get more Steven. It'll be another boring podcast with Steven. Uh, You're welcome. Just kidding. Uh, But thanks for joining me, Steven. And we will see y'all next time. Peace.